Hi everyone and welcome to this podcast on living with diabetes and helpful CGM accessories. My name is Jan and I'll be your host today and I have Pete Lomas here with me. Pete is a person with type 1 diabetes and the founder of Not Just a Patch, a company that makes purpose-designed patches for continuous glucose monitors and insulin pumps. With a career in healthcare and health information management, specialised pharmaceuticals, healthcare technology and hospital performance consulting roles prior to launching into self-employment. Pete is passionate about making better patches for CGMs now and playing a small role in improving the lives of people with diabetes. So hello, Pete, and thank you for being here today. How are you? I'm really well, Jan. Um, it's really nice to be here. Um, and that, uh, that when, I, when you run through my um, kind of career history, it makes me feel a bit old, but, um, <laughs> but that, that's no problem. How are you? I'm good and I'm, I'm, I'm old anyway, so I, that's all right. <laughs> we'll be fine. Okay. Um, we might get on with the first question, if that's all right. Um, as I mentioned, today we'll be discussing your experience living with diabetes and some of the devices and accessories that help improve your quality of life. And I'm wondering if you could tell us perhaps a bit about uh, your diabetes diagnosis and your experience in living with diabetes. Yeah, I'd be happy to, Jan. Um, so, what am I? I'm 46 years old now. I was 30 years old when I was diagnosed and um, I was living in London at the time. And like, and I talk to people all the time about their, um, we have a podcast as well at Not Just a Patch. So, I talk to people all the time asking them about their diagnosis and it's always the same things, isn't it? I, um, you know, so I was 30 in London and I was, um, I remember being thirsty as hell. I remember, you know, on the way into work in the morning, I worked in Fleet Street. I used to catch the tube in and I'd go to this juice shop and I'd get the biggest juice I could get and um, sit at my desk and just like suck it down. It was, um, it was weird. It just kind of happened all of a sudden. And then I was obviously peeing a lot and then my eyesight got blurry and um, I'd always had perfect eyesight. I went to an optometrist and they said, yeah, you, um, you need glasses. It looks like you need glasses. And so that was kind of that. And I was, then I was having a conversation with a mate of mine back in Australia and I was running through the symptoms with him and I was saying, you know, I've got this and this and this. And he's like, well, you've either got rabies or diabetes. Then I, um, obviously we had a chuckle. I went into boots uh, and you could get a, like an off the shelf test kit for diabetes. I, got, I, I did it. I tested myself and it was just, the reading was just like off the charts. It didn't register. It was too high. When, so I was living in Fulham in London at the time. I went to my local GP and she tested me. I can't remember what the test was, but she basically said, look, I'm surprised that you're even sitting up awake in front of me at the moment because with these results, like you should, you know, you should be unconscious. But I felt absolutely fine. I remember saying to her, look, um, she said to me, you, you've got to go to hospital now. I said, oh, look, I feel fine. I've got a really busy day. I've got some stuff I need to do. I'll go after work. She said, either. Either you've got to get in a taxi or I'm going to call an ambulance. So I went to um, Chelsea and Westminster Hospital and um, they took some arterial blood, if I remember correctly. And uh, I can't remember why they do that, but um, took some arterial blood and confirmed the diagnosis. Saw a nurse. She said, you know, don't eat sugar and, and uh, here's your insulin and off you go. It was, you know, I don't remember it being 
you know, it, it was a bit of a shock, I suppose, but I don't remember dwelling on it too much. Um, and I don't remember it really kind of getting in the way too much. I was training for the London Marathon at the time. That continued. And I was, this was December. Um, I was heading off to Italy for Christmas and, you know, like life just kind of went on and I just tested myself and took my insulin and just kind of got on with it. It didn't really, um, you know, I think it was only kind of later on that I reflect on it and go, Oh, I wonder what was happening at that time. And I remember work was quite stressful and I was working really hard at that time. And I've always wondered if like the, the stress of work was in any way an instigator. I think it's always the question that type one diabetics have about their, you know, uh, diagnosis is like, what, what were the things that were happening in that time? What could it possibly be? You never really know, do you? But uh, that, that was kind of the diagnosis period. And uh, look, I think it was pretty much business as usual in terms of like management. Uh, although I was lucky, you know, I think these are things you don't, always realize when you have healthcare systems like we have in Australia and the UK, you know, the NHS is fantastic. And obviously the Australian healthcare is fantastic. And so, you know, I think it's only on reflection where you look back and go, wow, or, you know, when you, when you think about the American healthcare system, for example, you go, well, how lucky are we to have, you know, the, the doctors and the nurses and just the healthcare system that we have to, to be able to look after us, you know, in the way that we get looked after. So, Really grateful about that. I did move to New York actually a few years after that, and um, I hope the NHS isn't listening. But I did, I did <laughs> stock up on my, um, I did stock up on my NHS supplies. I took about a year's worth of insulin and you know whatever other supplies I needed over there. Luckily, I was only there for a year. Then I moved to Australia, and so, uh, so yeah, so that was um, that was that period. And then um, look, I think you know really the the next really big relevant part to the diabetes journey was the um was the arrival of cgms um and how i came across them was i started working at abbott actually um i was consulting in their pathology division but the day that i got there this guy met me at the door because my boss to be wasn't there that day this guy met me at the door who worked in a team next to mine and um he was where I, mean, I don't know how it came about that I was type one, but it came about turned out he was type one. He was wearing a Libre and actually the Libre team, the Abbott Libre team or some of the team, the Sydney based team was sitting near us. So that was kind of like my first uh, awareness of CGMs. And actually that was for me a moment where I'd realized that actually my lack of engagement within the community and my lack of engagement with a diabetes educator or an endocrinologist or anyone for that matter had kind of meant that I'd missed out on understanding or knowing anything about the CGMs. And I, I, don't, I think what was, I think it was probably the, the Dexcom G5 and Medtronic might have been around at this point before the Libre came along. But that was, you know, that was probably, well, that, that was a massively significant moment because one, it, CGMs have kind of changed my life in terms of making it easier and, and more effective. And certainly, I, I noticed a improvement in my health. You know, various little things just kind of improved. HbA1c, but just little physical things improved um, with the better management. And obviously, that you know led on to this kind of idea of um, of not just a patch, which which came basically came from um, from uh, me needing to keep my Libre stuck on. So. Um, that's a pretty long-winded answer there, Jan. <laughs> have, I, have I covered everything? 
I think I think you have. Thank you very much for sharing that with me uh, or with us. And I guess uh, I've actually, in hearing that, I was in diabetes quite a few years ago, and mm. I think the story you tell of was uh, quite common back then. So um, nice to hear that the UK misses out on these things as well. So thank you for that. I'm wondering. Um, as you probably uh, understand, our audience includes credentialed diabetes educators or people who are preparing to get their CBE credentials. I'm mm. just wondering if you could tell us about a, a memorable experience with a diabetes educator when you finally got to see one. Yeah, look, I it was it was it's, it's been interesting. I think that realization that I'd kind of missed out on technology was an instigator for me going, maybe I need to be more connected in, you know, and, and maybe I do need to have a better relationship or even just have a relationship with a um, with a diabetes educator. And I'm trying to remember how I met. So Jane Overland, I'll give a shout, a shout out to Jane Overland. I don't know if you know her, Jane, but um, she's a pretty... I do indeed. You do, yeah. <laughs> I she, used um, to work I can't remember. Oh, did you? Yeah. So mm-hmm. she's, um, she's my diabetes educator. and. Um, I suppose, you know, if, if I think about memorable experiences with her, um, because I, I've had fairly limited experiences in being a patient with an educator, but I think with her, like, it's it's the confidence in her skill set, the confidence in her experience, and just, and I think that I'm an independent person, which is why, and I think, you know, people like me maybe cause problems for, for the diabetes educators out there in the world, because... Um, we're probably the ones who think we don't need help. And I think that what I realized in sitting down with Jane is just, you know, like my earlier story, how much I'm missing out on and how mm. much, you know, understanding I think exists within the diabetes educator world. I mean, you know, the likes of Jane and, and, and all of your colleagues are out there, you know, day to day talking with all sorts of different um, people with diabetes and, you know, in a sense, collating all of this knowledge which they can then impart and um you know that was what i'd been missing out on so i think that my my the, you know the memorable experience was just those first few sessions where i sat down and realized how useful and valuable actually having the support of someone with that amount of knowledge and experience um to help me navigate and you know to help me know what's coming up with technology and you know to give me insight into little things that the you know that I I don't necessarily understand with regards to managing my my diagnosis and I think that's a again a, a challenge for you guys is um, again independent people and you know diabetics <laughs> I think that they you know certainly there's you know and there's some validity to it right uh, but there's this belief that we know everything about our diabetes and we kind of do in a sense as I said but. There's actually stuff we don't know, and I think that that's the you know that's probably the important message to um to people with diabetes is you know there is stuff you don't know, and actually being engaged with um, a nurse and an educator is um is going to be helpful. Thank you for that. Um, I guess you've been asked this a million times, but what would you say is the toughest thing about living with diabetes? Um, is there anything that someone would have told you which you heard about sooner, perhaps? Well, there's probably the, in terms of hearing about sooner, it's the it's the CGM stuff. But look, I think, and I don't know if this is common, but when I thought about this question, um, you know, it, it's not it's not something I think you think about a lot 
as I don't think about a lot as a diabetic uh, or a person with diabetes, but it's the occasional impact on people around me. You know, it's sort of like I can manage it myself. And, you know, I usually I just like to be kind of left to my own devices to, to look after myself. But, you know, there's occasions when you need help, right? Like whether it's that, that random hypo uh, moment. And, you know, I've had, I've only had one, you know, proper serious, you know, grand mal seizure type hypo in my life, luckily. But it's the, you know, the go to hospital and your friend have to come and see you and help you out or, you know, whether it's asking, you know, your wife to, you know, run down the street to the shop to get you some jelly beans or whether you're, you know, with a group of friends or with someone who doesn't know you've got diabetes and you have to say, um, hey, I, um, I've got a bit of a problem at the moment. I might be, I might, I might come across a little bit weird, just letting you know. Or whether you have to walk into a shop and say, hey, I need some sugar and I don't have any money. Can you help me out? Well, you know, I remember being on a walk and I, or on a hike on my own, um, in North Sydney and, uh, started having a hypo and literally had to knock on a stranger's door of a residential house. So like that, you know, that kind of like having to involve or impact, um, other people because of my own problems is, um, you know, probably the toughest thing for me to, mm. about living with diabetes. And then, you know, there's also thinking about the fact that, you know, the average age of a, a type one diabetic, I don't know exactly what it is, but I imagine it's a few years younger than the average population. So those thoughts cross my mind, not too much, but occasionally. Sure. Thank you for those thoughts. Um, I am, as we mentioned earlier, you created and own a company called Not Just a Patch. Love the name. <laughs> Can you tell us how you chose the name? I suppose that's an obvious question, but uh, a bit about your products and how the company actually came to be. Yeah, so the company came to be because I had the Libre on and I'd been wearing it probably for a year or so. And, you know, even if I wasn't that active, the Libre, you know, even just with day 10, 11 into the 14 days, even if I wasn't that active, you know, just even sleeping by the, by the, you know, the latter few days, the edges would start to lift and that would, or, you know, you'd bump it off or something like that. And that was annoying, you know, and, and I think kudos to Abbott. And I don't know if the other guys do it. I assume they probably do, but um, kudos to Abbott for being supportive in the way that they, replace you know if there's a problem uh, i imagine they probably can't do that forever but uh, i think in the early days they, they were doing that so you just call them up and and they would help you out uh so that kind of you know there, there's a level of angst right there was a level of anxiety around keeping it stuck on in the last few days so like throughout the you'd wake up and you'd go how's my libre doing and you'd touch it you'd feel the edges and you'd be like okay it's it's lifting off i've got a you know, be aware of it. And that was without activity. So that kind of like, you know, gave me a level of sort of anxiety in the last few days just to be always thinking about, you know, is it staying on? And then I, um, and I've always been pretty active, but I started swimming a lot more. I started doing swimming training, um, ocean swimming, and I was training for the Bondi to Bronte swim. So I, you know, I do like hour long swim sessions. And I realized then if, you know, in a, in a kind of semi vigorous swimming session, even after 15, you know, 20 minutes, the Libre was getting loose. So there was no way that I could actually go and do a swim session 
and, and the Libre was staying on. So I had to do something about it. I started, like I think a lot of people do, doing my own taping, um, sort of fashioning my own tape. And then actually randomly, I think it, yeah, I think it had always been in the back of my mind. I've been 20 odd years of healthcare and, you know, commercial business development, sales, marketing and consulting. Um, you know, it always been in the back of my mind. You know, I was interested in, you know, entrepreneurialness. And, and it actually just so happened that I was listening to a Tim Ferriss podcast and he was, and, and you know, so I'd, I'd been making my own tape. I'd listened to this podcast. It was January 2019. And, um, there was it's something, you know, I think this podcast and this discussion with these guys about how they came up with this idea and what they were, you know, what they were doing with their business, it just something uh, clicked in my mind. And I went, Oh, hang on. There's this problem that I have that I'm fixing. Um, I wonder if there's other people out in the world who, have the same problem. Probably there is. And, um, and, um, why don't I see if I can make a business out of it? And, uh, I did a bit of Googling and realized I wasn't the first person with that idea. But, um, the great thing about the, that process, and I think having that idea and that vision initially was that it, you know, it keeps me going whenever, um, you know, things do get tough. And, you know, I, I did, I worked full time as a healthcare consultant for, 18 months and started the business on the side and uh, working, you know, 12 to 14 hours a day for, for that long. But, um, to answer your question, um, not just a patch just kind of came after that initial idea of the business. You know, obviously I had to come up with a name and it was important to me, you know, that the name had meaning. I think the not just a patch angle kind of, kind of covers a few different things, actually. Um, one primarily is that I couldn't just, have a business that was just about, you know, making a patch, you know, to build a business for myself. So there had to be some sort of purpose or some intent in the business. And that was kind of the, the seed for the name in that, you know, it's, it's not just about a patch. It's actually about a community. It's about engaging with the community. It's about supporting the community and it's about giving back to the community. Um, so we, we support various causes. Uh, one of them that kind of made sense to me initially was insulin access for all because you know in a in wealthy countries um where insulin's expensive it just doesn't make any sense to me um and so that was a, a cause i thought that was worthwhile and we support various other causes we even gave money to the bushfire relief and um you know we, we support a diabetic dog in eastern europe somewhere called lara and um you know i think that always the name is kind of reminding me about that you know that it's not just about a patch um so yeah so that's that's kind of some of the origin of the business and, and the name jen thank you for that it's um, good to hear i mentioned a little bit about your work background um in the bio but i'm wondering do you have any advice for any of our entrepreneurial listeners who are thinking of starting up a company it's not a thing that's taken lightly is it i suppose not and sad to say, when I think about this one, a lot of the answers are very cliche. You know, and I think the most common one that, that I've heard, and, and it's true, um, and that is, you know, take a risk, really. There's, there's risk involved. And I think a lot of people who have ideas um, are scared for that risk. And there's a massive amount of time and energy and effort and investment, both kind of like on your own personal time, but also financially that, you know, has to go into it. 
And so that, you know, that's obviously a consideration. Uh, and I, I think it's easy, I think, for, for people, to, for, for, you know, for entrepreneurs and business owners to say that, you know, take a risk. But I think there's, there is obviously the, um, the other part, which is, you know, coming up with a good idea, right? That, you know, I think that's, again, it's not just the taking the risk part, but if you aren't confident in your idea or you don't have some attachment to it, it's hard. It makes it harder. You know, I've seen people have ideas, but they have the idea because they want to go make some money. Mm. And I watch them and I realized that, like, that's kind of why I'd not done anything until not just a patch, because as much as I had, might have had ideas, I didn't have a, a passion or an attachment to them. And I, and I think I got lucky. You know, I, I got, I was in, I'm in an area that is easy for me to understand. So it's easier. It's much easier for me to develop a vision and, and build and run a business because it's something that I know a lot about. Um, sure. And so I think there's probably some cues in there. I think, you know, looking for things in your day to day life that, you know, you're passionate about, but yeah, looking for cues in your, your day to day, you know, problems that you're already fixing, um, passions that you already have. Because I think if you go and do something that is already coming natural to you or that you already have an affinity to or some kind of insight into, it's going to give your chances of success a lot more. Great. Thank you for that. Now, you've already uh, touched on this question, but um, I, you mentioned about you um, acknowledge and support pets living with type 1 diabetes. Can you tell us just a little bit more about that, please? Yeah, look, I didn't have a lot of awareness about animals and diabetes. And, um, you know, now it's funny. I actually see a dog on my street now wearing a Freestyle Libre. Uh, I live in Potts Point and there's a little dog that comes to the cafe with a freestyle libre on his back. Uh, and yeah, look, I think, I, and I've got a, I've got a dog now. I've had a little pup, Hank, the schnoodle for 12 months and, um, I'm completely head over heels for him. Um, <laughs> and, um, I've always been an animal lover. And so I think again, like back to the story about starting the business, you know, I, I wanted to, you know, it's, it's the great one of the great things about having a business is you can you can do what you want. You know, you can have ideas and you can um, instigate them. And so, I think this whole pet thing and and with Lara the German Shepherd, we were approached by her owner, uh, or you know, we came across her somewhere anyway. Um, and her owner doesn't have a lot of financial support. Obviously, there's there's no co costs covered, you know, from the, mm -hmm. where, where she lives for looking after the supply, the diabetes supplies that are needed to look after Lara. So she was, you know, she was asking for help, and so we we give a monthly um, financial um, support to the to Lara to help her manage the costs, and we also promote her through our social media, um, you know, suggesting that if people can spare a few dollars to go and send some over just to support her. So, look, it's really just to um, bring a bit of extra awareness and just have a bit of fun and uh, re realise it's not just humans that um, that have to deal with diabetes. Sure. Thank you for that. Um, if uh, our listeners wanted to 
see or test your product? Is there a way for them to obtain samples is the first question. And also, are there any discount codes for people living with diabetes to access just patch patches? <laughs> it's just it's a patch patch. It's, it's, yeah. I know, it's, uh, yeah, there's no other way to do it. Um, so, yeah, in short, yes, Jan, there is. We actually, we, you know, and this is a, a great thing about the business. I mean, I've always had a lot of admiration and respect. And, you know, the 20 odd year, 25 years in healthcare, I spent a lot of time, you know, working with and around nurses and, um, you know, certainly grew massive respect and admiration and, and, you know, um, I'm lucky now in this, in this business to be able to kind of still continue to work with nurses. And so it's a really, you know, it's a, it's a big positive for me. So yeah, we basically we already supply, um, a network of, um, diabetes educators out there in Australia and all over the world. At the moment, it's just reach out to us via the website or via my email, which is Pete at notjustapatch.com. Just reach out via email, let us know your details, and we will send out patches, a, a selection of patches for you to um, give to your patients. We'll also send out brochures as well, and the brochures have discount codes on them. So you can print these out and, and um, hand them to patients in your clinic or wherever you're seeing them. Or we actually have one that you can email to them as well, and they have a, a discount code on them. That discount code is AU. Nurses 10. So A U N U R S E S 10, uh, all lowercase. And that can be entered into the website at checkout. There's a, a code, discount code section on the website at checkout. And that'll give you 10% off of um, your patches. Fantastic. Thank you, Pete. Once again, really, it's been wonderful talking to you and hearing your journey as an entrepreneur. And good luck going forward. So it's really been great to talk to you today. Yeah, thanks so much, Jan. It's really nice to talk to you. And um, really, as I said earlier, it's really great to be engaged with this community. Um, I feel very lucky, actually, that um, that I get to work with diabetes educators and just the community in general. So really happy to take part and um, happy to uh, answer any questions on email anytime. And, um, and I wish you all the very best. Thank you very much. And thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. To obtain CPD credit for the podcast, please go to the ADEA Learning Management System at learning.adea.com.au and complete a feedback or and evaluation. So until next time, goodbye. Thank you.